This show is made possible by our supporters on Patreon at patreon.com slash rfkrefugee. If you'd like to make sure there continues to be multiple DC United podcasts, and you want to hear two guys mispronounce names, and hear me pine for the days of Guy Roland Capene and Anjan Sulu and Craig Thompson, consider supporting us today. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to RFK Refugees Podcast. This is your host, John Hoffman, and only your host, John Hoffman. Uh, Ted Meyer, my my faithful co-host who always does this awesome intro, uh, is on vacation. He's hanging out, I think, at the beach. So it's just me. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna try this. I, I'm gonna I promise you right now at the start of this. There's no way this goes over an hour. If it does, and you're still listening to it at the end, we're, we're both insane. We have both we have both lost our mind. Uh, so what are we gonna talk about? What am I gonna? I say we. What am I gonna talk about? Well, there were a bunch of games this weekend, and we also talked to you about last week that we're going to expand our coverage. I went to my first Washington Spirit game this last weekend, so there's that to talk about. Uh, and then there's some transfer goings-ons, uh, some potential ins, some potential outs. Uh, the outs hurt a lot more than the ins help, but you know that's the way this goes sometimes. So we'll talk about that. And uh, you also sent me all of the questions. I asked for all of the questions, and you gave them to me. So, again, you guys always come through big time for me, and you did again, so I appreciate that. And then we have Sean Maslin, who writes on a bunch of different places. Uh, we're going to make sure that when I talk to him, uh, we're going to say all those places, and we're going to tell you where you can find him. But as of right now, I don't have it in front of me, so we're gonna, this is how we're going to roll. It's shooting off the cuff. But Sean Maslin will talk to us about Washington Spirit. He was there last weekend shooting... Uh, some pictures, I believe, for pro soccer. Uh, and he stayed the whole time. I left at halftime because there was an hour lightning delay, and I live about a million miles away. Uh, but I watched the rest on my phone in the car, which is pretty cool uh, to be able to do. So, anyway, let's talk about uh, DC United first off the bat. There were two games since we've last had a podcast. Uh, Cincinnati, the game against Cincinnati last Wednesday, I believe, uh, which, you know, that was exciting. Uh, we thought at the beginning of the game we had our, we had our guest on talking about uh, you know, FC Cincinnati's run of two games, I believe, before that, or right after that, there was an article that came out saying, uh, FC Cincinnati, is this a playoff team? And uh, we laughed. We all laughed. We laughed and laughed, uh, and then said, I don't think so. Uh, and they, I don't think that they are. This is my first opportunity. I've seen some of their games. I saw their first two games at the beginning of the season when they were on national television. I believe they won two games, and everyone said, this is it. This is going to be a team uh, that we have to look out for in the Easter Conference. And then since then, uh, not so much that at all. Uh, a coach has been fired. Uh, players have terminated le- loans early to go and be anywhere else. So not really, not really a playoff team, even in this crazy uh, MLS where almost everyone makes the playoffs. But let's talk about the game. So Leahara, first of all, back to the five-man back line with two wingbacks. This was, a, uh, I think, potentially mostly done because of a... Uh, uh, Acosta red card situation still. So there are a limited number of players at the disposal, and we'll talk about that too. I said we again. I'll talk about that too, again in the future, about how bad this bench is and how limited Ben Olsen's choices are uh, when he's setting up, particularly on the road, but even at home, with trying to make a difference and change the game uh, with the pieces that he has at his disposal. Uh, but one of those pieces, Leo Hara, continues to play further up the field. Uh, despite his protestations, I think there was a Flow FC interview that Rory Maleta was, uh, was translating, basically saying, I prefer a four-man back line, uh, but you know, I'll do whatever the team wants me to do. So I think he'd prefer to be in his, in his normal right-back position and not up the field uh, most of the game, but that's sort of where he finds himself right now, particularly on this team that's having trouble creating offensive chances. Uh, both wingbacks, Joseph Mora also very far up the field, uh, both in the Cincinnati game uh, and in the game uh, against Atlanta, which we'll talk about later which I will talk about later. Um, so it's unclear, I think, if it's, you know, watching the game, it was unclear if it was better organization than the game previous against New England uh, or just a lesser opponent, but they looked a lot better in defense. They looked a lot more cohesive. There weren't situations where runners were left on track, center backs knew where to go, and that was much different than the previous situation against New England. At the time, there was, you know, a discussion about this is a new system for us. 
we haven't played it very often, so that's really the cause of those those miscommunications that caused two goals uh, by New England. But I think that so it's some of that. It's some of being able to practice and get used to that rotation, get used to that uh, the new the new uh, system that they wanted to play, and then half of it is Cincinnati being very poor. Um, Moreno had a great first half after a horrible game against New England. Uh, he also he followed that up. I think he was he was decent against Atlanta, but against Cincinnati, uh, he really controlled the game. Uh, it was the the question about you know Moreno and 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 Canales is that if you're not having offensive chances being created by the rest of your forwards and the rest of your midfield, can you afford two defensive midfielders, two midfielders that don't uh, really really open up the game offensively and don't really venture too far forward? In this game, you could uh, the connection play. And the combinations that DC United was able to play against Cincinnati, mostly because they did not, they don't pressure the ball at all. They sit off and they allow you to do whatever you're going to do. And then their defensive shape, beyond that, also isn't very good. So from you know, there's there's two ways you can defend, right? You can defend with high pressure, or you can defend defend with your shape. And they don't do either well. So that that's really the result of why they give up the most goals in MLS. Um, the ball, the much better possession. The ball movement was better. They weren't hurried under pressure in the first half. They only had one goal, I believe. It's been so long now, but that's what I believe. At, at half, there was a one-goal lead, but uh, it, it it got a lot better in the second half, obviously. Uh, Briant, this will be a this will be a a, a a theme for this podcast. In Cincinnati, he had good and bad moments. He allowed a free header that that hit off the bar in the first half that could have potentially changed the game a little bit. He has regressed. I think it's. I think it's clear. There are some of our listeners that want Briant uh, put on his, you know, funeral flow and sent out to sent out to sea as soon as possible. And you know, earlier on in the year, I thought that was way out of line, uh, just based on the sort of the, the 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 standard of level. He's he's a six and a half guy, right? Uh, mostly, like he he wasn't he wasn't crushing it. His team of the week days from earlier in the season have not been replicated, uh, but for the most part, he's been steady. However. In these last few games, he has a moment or two of turning off or, or lacking concentration. Maybe it's the setup. Maybe this is not his formation. And that's entirely possible. He's not comfortable with the, this, this defensive alignment. Uh, but he turns off, and, and players seem to find space in his area. So, you know, that's, that, that's something to look forward, uh, particularly if we're going to play this many center backs. We don't have any other depth. Uh, Jalen Robinson would be the next center back off the bench, as it's currently constituted with our roster. And, you know, I don't think Ben has a lot of great faith in that opportunity. So if we're going to continue to do this, Breon's going to be on the field, whether we like it or not. So hopefully he picks up the pace a little bit. Uh, second half against uh, Cincinnati, the penalty call. Wow. Uh, I, I, bet, I don't know if you guys still even remember it now. But Ariola basically needed to put his arms inside the sleeves of his shirt and, and tuck them in to not get that penalty called against him. Uh, uh, you know what are you gonna do there? Toledo had an opportunity to not call it. He he gave himself a second. He still called it. Didn't go to VAR, and then Cruz stops completely in his penalty, and then Pines also infringed on the 18. All things that should have uh, warranted a retake, but no, didn't happen. Uh, MLS refereeing, I think, is about as bad as everyone says it is. At least when it's bad. I think the 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 okay level. You know when they're not making large gaffes. They're you know they're on par with with most with most leagues, but the big gaffes are just like mind meltingly bad, and this was one of those. Toledo has a reputation for a reason, uh, and you know that that's the reason. Also, I forgot to mention, uh, Chris Seitz got his first start this game. Bill Hamid apparently broke a team rule. We don't know what that rule was. I think that the the locker room now is a lot tighter than it used to be. I don't think that's going to get out, particularly because the team is yet to be completely falling apart. If the team starts to fall apart, those things tend to get leaked out a little bit. Uh, this team is not the 2013 DC United, so we won't probably ever find out. Um, Wayne lost his mind during that penalty, and you know it, we'll get into it in a second, but he got a yellow card for descent. He seemed to just really be laying into Toledo. I think this season has been very frustrating for him for how poor the refereeing has been. I think everyone will remember uh, the I don't remember who it was against, but the uh, the the referee was trying to walk off a wall and couldn't walk ten steps twice, and Rooney was holding up nine fingers and seven fingers for how many steps he took off the wall. Uh, so I think he may ha- I think he may be mentally fried a little bit by this by, you know, the the standard of refereeing. He also talked about you know sort of a quick sidebar which I will allow myself. 
he also talked last year about how when he got brought in, the, the plan was to continue to supplement the roster with big with players, with, with talent. And we didn't do that last summer. And we said, well, you know, the winner will be when we'll do that. He said it again recently in another interview, basically saying, we need more players. We need better players if we're going to compete for anything. And, you know, the window's, the window's open. No one's in yet. Uh, Wayne is currently hanging out in England with his family, which cool for him. Everybody gets vacation days. He apparently took his during the game. Uh, and also, I don't, I don't imagine he's back for the friendly tomorrow. I'm pretty sure he's not. Um, so hopefully he comes back rested and, uh, you know, not as mad at refereeing. And hopefully they've brought in some players to sort of, you know, check that box off. Uh, TT, the deflected goal, 58 minutes. Again, no pressure by Cincinnati. Uh, just, just horrible. I feel very, very bad for this, for this team. Uh, the, the defense has to be completely replaced. Greg Garza going out clearly hurt them. He, he was great in Atlanta. He was great before that playing in, in Mexico, but sweet sassy Molasa, they're very bad right now. Um, Hara's goal, Hara's pass on the Wayne Rooney goal was as good as Wayne Rooney's pass to Acosta. I mean, obviously the situation was different, uh, but just an excellent ball. I don't think it could have been uh, more accurate uh, for the distance that it was. And Wayne, you know, a rare goal, an open play goal for Wayne, um, you know, he put it away. Ariel scored scored later, 4-1 margin of victory. Just, uh, you know, just a padlum that we should have predicted. I think I predicted a draw, you know, that's very sad for me to do that, but I think I did that. I think uh, I think Ted, if he were here, he would say, "But uh, John, I I I predicted a win, so you got to give me credit." So I'm, I will give you credit, even though you're not here. So that was that. We were kind of on a high there, I think. Um, Acosta found out that his uh, his he was out for that game for the second game for his red card, so we knew we'd have him back for Atlanta. Wayne came out, I think, in the 82nd minute, which is the earliest I think he's come out ever uh, since he's been at with DC United. Uh, and there was concern about if he'd play next week, if he was injured or what. I don't think there was a concern whether or not he would actually be playing, uh, but it turns out that he didn't play, uh, and that he was sent home by Olsen to, to recover and rest, uh, and be back, I think, for the following game, uh, next week. So let's talk about that game against Atlanta. Uh, same formation, uh, although if you looked at the, as, as the game started, you looked at the bench for DC United, and then you looked at the bench for Atlanta, and Oh wow. That 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 is that is a big contrast that you want to draw when you're looking at what what's the difference between these two teams? What's it like having Arthur Blank as uh your manager? What's it like having that attendance every week? Uh that's what it's like. It's like having a bench where you can bring off the South American player of the year who's not clicked for you, who rumors had it that you were going to send away, uh that you could do that for a twelve million dollar transfer. I believe that was the amount. So weird. Uh whereas we can bring on uh, Jalen Robinson, Griffin Yao, uh, Ulysses Segura. I mean, great players, all Quincy, you know, but not not the difference makers that that Atlanta has obviously at their disposal. So same formation as FC Cincinnati. No Wayne, uh, Lucho in a false nine. I, I think he looked great. I think he he really did well in the time he had. Obviously, no goals, uh, but he he really provided pressure. Um, that. You know, you want to see. We were always wondering, what do we do without Wayne? Because we haven't had to really consider that, uh, but other than the red card suspensions. But what do we do without Wayne? And the answer is we don't try to just replace him like for like, because there is nobody else on our team that plays in his style. The false nine really did work uh, for the most part. For better finishing in the first half, it had been 2 nothing. Um, unfortunately, there was not that. Also, Zoltan was sick again. Clearly now, Zoltan's done. Zoltan is hanging out at home, training, uh, with his with his personal trainer and recording videos for Instagram, whatever that's cool. Uh, I think he's got to be out of here soon. If he's not, I can't imagine why they're keeping him away from the team. Um, so I, I imagine that they're the the front office is working on his move out of there, and that's fine. Uh, Donovan Pines, sorry again. I want a quick quick aside. This seems very uh, jittery for you and sort of like all zigzaggy. I am basically reading you my game notes and trying to extemporaneously expound on. So. That's what you get. I'm sorry. Donovan Pines is very tall. You've noticed that, I'm sure. Uh, his advantage in the air is going to be... That's not going away. He's going to remain tall. So that's awesome. I think he, his, 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 his disadvantages are playing the ball with his feet and quickly transitioning into the attack. 
He's not very good at that yet, I think. He'll get better. He's great at blocking shots. He's, he wins every aerial battle, you know, which he should because he's 13 feet tall. Uh, but it's, it's great to have that, you know, particularly Burnbaum is tall, but Donovan Pines is tall, so it's different. Um, great ball, so we'll sort of walk through the game. Lucho starts off the game in the fifth minute playing a great ball. TT possibly should have scored with a better, with a better touch. Didn't work. Uh, ball ran into touch. Martinez, Joseph Martinez looked dangerous the entire game. And I know if you're watching the game like me, every time he touches the ball, your heart is in your throat. You're like, this players are diving all over the place. It's like hockey. They're like sliding across the goal to block chances. He's so dangerous. I would, I would enjoy having a player as dangerous consistently as he. Uh, but he almost scored in the seventh minute. Hara slipped. Bill, Bill bailed him out. Was the first of a couple. I believe I put, set the over-under on Twitter. Uh, for Bill Hamid saved at, I think, nine. I think he was less than that. I hit the under on that. Uh, but that's, you know, <laughs> he's dangerous the entire time. That, that's, his, that's his strength. I also wrote here, I hate capos with megaphones. I do. It sounds so, in the mix, it sounds so stupid. Uh, DC United, with no capo stands because of the, the way that the stadium is built, is somehow able to communicate to their fans uh, what songs they're going to sing. And it works. How about that? And they don't use, they don't use megaphones. Weird. Uh, Lucho with Wayne out was back on corner duty. Uh, I think he may be better than Wayne at that. Wayne obviously serves a better dead ball overall. I think I think that that bears out. Uh, but on corner kicks aside, I think there was one where he just kicked the ball out of bounds. Other than that, Lucho serves no real purpose on corners uh, at all. So the fact that he can take and deliver a good ball is something that you should take advantage of while you have him. Uh, Thirteen minutes again, great save by Bill again. Joseph Martinez uh, open space uh, for Nagby. He cut up. Uh, the I think he got through two or three defenders at the top of the box and laid it off for Martinez. Uh, that was a that was a theme. I believe Atlanta at the end of the first half had seventy percent possession, so it was rough. It was Benny Ball for sure, no doubt about that. Or at least as it's Benny Ball as it's been taken to mean in the past. Hara might lead the team in completed dribbles, and then I said no, I want to check or no, I won't check. And then I did check, and he did actually lead the team in dribbles that game. I think he had seven completed dribbles. So it makes sense to have him move forward to really take advantage of that skill set that he has. He does have some problems in defending, but if you're going to have an extra center back back there that can help him out and still allow him to get forward, and he has the legs to do it, then by all means, keep doing it. Uh, the defensive shape and the pressure for DC was excellent through 23 minutes. You get, they were giving Atlanta the ball. That's fine. But they were not allowing them to be too dangerous with it. Um, that's really what you want to see in this sort of setup. Ariola had a bad pass on a break at 30 minutes, uh, and then he had a second chance two minutes later and couldn't finish on the breakaway. I think that I wrote here, lack of finishing will be the only thing to keep him from moving up and moving on to a different league. More on that shortly. Uh, there was a high line. Atlanta was playing a high line, and Lucha was playing long balls over the top, and I said it could work at the time. This is the danger they had all game. Uh, not normally the way they play, right? Normally, DC United has a slow buildup uh, or on a counterattack, there, aren't, there isn't usually one pass and then a goal. There's, there's movement along from side to side. Uh, uh, over the top, long balls and running on. And not only something they do, because Wayne is not a runner that way. So it was interesting to see how it changed. I think at halftime, I said DC United could have a lead or should have a lead. They scrambled effectively and found opportunities over the top. But Joseph Martinez was one slip away from a lead. True. <laughs> True. So second half, again, 73% possession. Uh, Pine's decision-making and passing with his, is his weakest attribute. Uh, Lucho is the king of obvious fouls. That's true. He loses the ball, and it's a guarantee that he's going uh, to be whistled. It's just going to happen. Uh, hopefully he doesn't get a red card for doing it, but it's always pretty obvious. I said Ariola seemed pretty zapped. The unfortunate thing is there's no proven option to replace him. I said Segura won't be as dangerous, but it'll probably be him, and it was him. Uh, Ariola just came back from a gold cup. He's tired. Very, it's quite obvious that he's tired. Uh, and it shows, I think, in, his, in the lack of his sharpness from a mental standpoint, from a finishing standpoint, it's, it's obvious. So Briant is the, is, the, is the victim here. He's not the victim, I'm sorry. He's the uh, enemy. He's the clown. He's the guy who we really got to point at. He had two errors in five minutes that allowed two goals, and it broke the bunker. Uh, P.T. Martinez scores the first. Joseph Martinez scores the second. Uh, 
ball game. There wasn't enough attack in the second half or opportunities in the second half. Bill Hamid did, however, face down Joseph Martinez on a penalty, uh, and then Joseph Martinez did his hop, skip, and a jump, and then shot the ball over the over the crossbar, which was awesome and funny, and we all appreciated that. But in the end, they got three points, so maybe not so funny. Uh, Taylor Twelman intimated that that could be Acosta's last game, and subsequently we heard from the the Athletic that Al Ali Saudi Arabia uh, put an offer in from for three million dollars for his services with elevator clauses that may take it up to five. So what do we think about that? We'll, we'll, die, we'll, we'll go in that direction really quick. Uh, I think that, and I said it on Twitter, if they are offering Lucho enough money for him to go to a league that has no profile, uh, but is enough to make his, his grandkids wealthy, he may do it. Unclear, I, I'm not going to get inside his head. But if he does agree, DC United has to sell for $3 million. You got to do it. Um, he is no longer having the type of effect uh, on the team. He obviously is a you know core a core element, creative element that we don't have another like him. But the team is not as dependent on him, I think, as they were last year. Uh, or if they are, you've got to find a a plan B anyway here in, in the near term. So let's make that move if we can get any money out of it. You know, I'm not normally one to say, you know, to play fantasy GM and make sure that money is the most important thing. But this team needs it. Like there are decisions that are being made that are clear that this team needs some some income. So maybe this is what you got to do. There aren't a lot of players that you have on your roster that you can make that that profit on. The bench is no good right now. The bench is weak. Um, we need changes on that. And unless we do that, the team isn't going anywhere. And that'll that'll bring us up to transfer rumors. I think that, that that's a good that's a good lead in. So we know about Lucho. That was sort of. You know, that was always coming. We had heard rumors about Sevilla. We had heard, we've all know the story about PSG. The one that I think caught a lot of people by surprise is Paul Ariola uh, is also being looked at by, Me- by teams in Liga MX, by teams in the Premier League, I think, and teams in the Championship, SPL, everywhere. Basically, you know, people are on notice. It's a young American national team starter who won't be very expensive. He's still, he's still very young. Uh, and Liga MX, he'll count as a domestic player, so there's a real there's a real value there. Uh, we said on the show from the start that you know he is a player that might move before Lucho. He's got his, his profile has never been higher than it has been in the last six months. Thank you, Greg Burhalter. He will he does, however, truly move this team. Other than Wayne, I think Ariola this year is the irreplaceable object. Uh, also with Joseph Moore, so there's three irreplaceable objects. But as far as the offense goes. As as Ariella goes, goes the offense. So if he goes, he's going to have to be replaced quickly um, if they want to make a press to the playoffs. It would be weird for them to blow the team up in second or third place uh, this late in the season. They could do it. They could say, we see how this season is going. We see how this roster looks. We've had uh, you know a relatively balanced schedule up to, up to this point with a large break in between and it hasn't gotten much better. We're, we're time machines for the most part. And maybe we need to take a step back and, and rebuild and retool. That will make fans very upset. I will be upset. Um, as season ticket holders will be mad. Wayne Rooney will be mad because he doesn't have that much longer here. Uh, and a, a retooling is not what he signed up for. But that's that. That's, that's the question. What are we going to do there? Uh, it, it remains to be seen. We don't know how Paul feels about it. I assume he's excited for a new option and you know, theoretically more lucrative payday. Uh, but it's 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 new news. We don't know. I'm sure that he will be asked here in the, in the near term what his thoughts are, and I am sure that he will say, you know, my thoughts are here with DC. That's where I'm focused on. So, you know, be be ready for that uh, Bull Durham esque answer from him. Uh, so that was a lot. That was a lot of me talking about these games. You know, three points out of out of two. If we knew which one of those two games we'd win, we would have said it was Cincinnati. If we could have predicted ahead of time how that Atlanta game would have gone, I think 90% of us would have picked it right. Uh, bunkering, trying to hold on, and then cracking at the end was was sort of predictable, unfortunately. But I think Ben thought that that was the only way we were going to get a result potentially. You know, a lot of people don't like to don't like that. It's negative. It's not. Uh, you know, it's not optimistic soccer. It's very, very. Uh, it's like a Moneyball style. It's just sort of trying to op- utilize your optimizations and just eke out as much as you can get, uh, and and try to live to fight another day. And that's not really exciting for most fans. But that's, I think, where Ben was, ben was looking. So we're going to take a break. 
we are going to we're going to talk to Sean Maslin of Pro Soccer and many other things about Washington Spirit, our first Washington Spirit segment. Uh, so stay tuned if you are interested in that. And even if you're not, you better stay tuned anyway. Uh, we're also going to hit you with some cool questions. Right now. Welcome back, everybody. You all have just gone through, I don't know how many minutes yet, I have not exported the file yet, but at least 30 minutes of me monologuing about games that happened in the past. And now you're going to have a whole other voice to listen to for, for some amount of time. So be happy about that on its face. I want to welcome Sean Maslin to the show. He is uh, a writer, uh, an editor for Pro, so- Pro Soccer. He writes for the Soccer Wire. He works for Soccer 360 Mag and also is the marketing and communications coordinator for Bethesda soccer club news uh sean thank you for joining us we really appreciate it john thanks for having me this is great uh, i love talking soccer in the on a tuesday afternoon especially since it's now finally officially dry in maryland and not 116 degrees no it's just an improvement no. so no, no. if if you have been listening to this show not you sean but the listener if you've been listening to this show for a week now uh, we talked about the fact that we're going to start covering Washington Spirit, and I made it, I think, hopefully abundantly clear that we are not coming from this from a position of we are already Washington Spirit experts. Uh, so we're just going to roll out just like we're talking about DC United that we've been doing every week for over a year. No, that's not the case. I did happen to go to my first game this weekend, uh, but we said we need to bring in some people that actually have covered this team and and know the league and this team uh, much more in depth, and that's why I called Sean uh, to help us out. So Sean, I had my, I went to my first. I've been to the Plex a couple times for U.S. Open Cup games. Always love the atmosphere. Usually there was a lot less people than there were there for the Spirit games. Usually it's, you know, I can see Jason uh, across the across the way, you know, doing work for his blog, and I can see, you know, you know, people scattered about. But this was full. This was pretty much a. This was a sellout, right? On this weekend. Yeah, it was. Uh... They, I believe the official attendance was 5,000, and most uh, importantly, at the halftime, there was actually a lightning delay. Most people stayed all the way through, which is something that uh, very often you'll see that people go home or what have you, but they stuck through, and it, I think it's, I think it was a great uh, first game back at home after the uh, World Cup break, and I think it's a great sign for the league, hopefully. Yeah, I certainly don't know anyone who left during that break. I don't know anyone on this podcast that's talking to you right now who happened to leave due to not knowing when the game would come back on and having to drive all the way back to Stafford. So just so we're setting that clear, no one here did that for sure. I definitely stayed the entire game. But maybe if I assume I didn't, the the first the first half of, so again, this is my first NWSL experience in person. Uh, I I was I was impressed. I, this I've been watching now every every game. I'd watched in the past some occasional Spirit games, but um, the the heat really did affect this game. I think a little bit in the first half. I think that you'd have you'd have to say that the sharpness necessarily wasn't there. They were everyone was doing their best and trying to make runs and be aggressive, but it was really hot and humid, wasn't it? Yeah, it was brutal. Um, I think the pitch, because I, I, I think the pitch conditions on the field were probably close to one ten. Um, it is grass, so that's good. If it was turf, we'd all be melting. But <laughs> it was a uh, it was a warm night, and I think you watched in the first. If you could see in the first half, Houston had a little bit more initiative to them. They seemed to be their passing seemed to be a little crisper. They were getting a couple more shots off on goal. I think that's a lot in due in part to the fact that they're used to this kind of weather, yeah. and for them, it's something that it's a little bit more uh, they're a little bit more comfortable with, but. I think that the spirit and the at the end of the first half really started to pull things together. Andy Sullivan in the midfield in particular was really starting to kind of get, get into her own finding spots for passing and it made for a really interesting end of the first half. And then in the second half, of course, everything kind of turned on its head and we had ourselves a goal fest. So that's always good. I was really concerned uh, for Andy Sullivan. She looked like she had a non-contact injury. She sort of, I, I didn't see what the collision was. She went down and, and had to, and had to, you know, the the trainer had to come over on the side. She looked like she was not going to come back in. She made it back in. I think probably, you know, took a little bit of time so that she could breathe a little bit and have some water and not die. Uh, 
but she definitely impacted the game throughout. I think there was a, a ball hit the crossbar before the end of the first half, if I remember correctly. Spear came close to scoring. 23rd minute, it looks like. Um, but, yeah, they're, 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 they definitely, uh, the second half is really when the game kind of came alive. I think the hour break, the sun went all the way down. Uh, I think the temperature changed a little bit. It was still muggy as, as, as all get out, but it was uh, maybe conducive to a little bit more attacking soccer. Uh, we saw Houston, uh, we saw Washington score their, their first goal. All, we should also talk about maybe the goal that wasn't in the first half, the called off uh, to offside uh, call uh, for Houston. Did you, it looked offside, right? To me, you know, it, they're up there. It looked very obviously offside. The stadium was very oddly super quiet as everyone was sort of in disbelief that the flag didn't go up. The lineswoman was having a rough first half. She seemed to really not want to be there after a certain point. <laughs> she wanted to hide. She, I feel so bad for her. I do. Uh, so I was actually on the sideline uh, doing camera work for the game. So I was uh, actually shooting photos. And one, uh, the spirit coach, Richie Burke, for those who know, is never short on things to say to referees and was very uh, demonstrative in a couple different circumstances towards her. So I think she was having a little bit of a tough time with him. But the offside call was interesting. So I was right online with it. And it it was close. I mean, it looked, it appeared that the Dynamo attacker was off, but I mean, we're talking very, very, very short. And there was a whole circumstance where the referee came up to her and they had a conversation that, of course, was leaving, you know, everybody very consternated about the entire situation. So it was uh, a frenetic few minutes. I think that it's again it goes back to when we're talking about soccer here the letter of the law versus what is actually like humanly possible for being an offside or non-offside call and i think at the end of the day she got it right um i think in the rest of the match there were some interesting calls though made i it was it was a it added for some intrigue and i think again hopefully these sorts you hate to say like referee situations would make people more interested but it did definitely spark the game up a little bit i think in part led to a better second half also in the first half, uh, Rachel Daly was very isolated, but was still very, very dangerous. Again, not not having an opportunity to, to see these players week in and week out, I was very impressed with her work rate. Also, she was very vocal about not getting the ball when she thought she should have it. <laughs> she was she was definitely loud on the pitch. And uh, Huerta and uh, and Ojai were just were were dynamic in the second half. Obviously, uh, you know, you know, Huerta scored or not score. I'm sorry, but she was she was. Uh, I think she she stayed until the 87th minute. They were they were really causing I think uh, Washington a lot of problems. Those players were were really uh, moving without and with the ball pretty much the whole game. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think also Christine Naren who had a really great match as well, and she was really working well with Mewis in terms of being able to create chances on the inside. Naren who's from the area actually, and she played for Spirit I think in 2014 2015. Um, seemed to have a little bit of fire under her to kind of come back to her old team and play. But, I, you know, the dash came into it, having lost, the I think it's three games in a row. And you could kind of tell that they were looking, they they had a little bit of a sense of urgency to them. And I think a lot of it has to do in part to their schedule coming up the next couple of weeks. So for them to get to really come out early in the first half, I think showed that this is a pretty good side and maybe they are going to be a team at the rest of the season that's to keep an eye out on. Yeah, it seems like in this league, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems, I mean, there are there can be teams at the bottom with two wins all season, but they're, you know, just like MLS is very unpredictable, it seems like the, the talent is, is even enough where even teams at the bottom are going are gonna to threaten. Obviously, I think there is the class of the league. You have your North Carolinas, uh, maybe and maybe your Chicago, based on the game I saw last weekend, I would <laughs> I would put them up there at least from an attacking perspective. Uh, but at the bottom, it doesn't seem like there's real like real real dregs. I know Washington had a rough year last year, but these teams at the bottom seem still pretty dangerous. I agree. Yeah, I think that it's also it's because there's only it's a nine team league, right. and because you have so few teams, there are the rosters themselves aren't at the point where they're stretched thin. Where you kind of see an MLS, for example. Sometimes, like, the roster depth can be an issue. These are pr- all pretty good sides, and depending upon when you hit them, they could you could end up seeing an upset here or there. Obviously, the team that uh, Spirit played this week up uh, Sky Blue FC is in a little bit of an interesting circumstance themselves. But, you know, it's it, it could be anybody's game. And, again, 
getting back to things that we can use to sell this league, that the competition is actually quite good uh, up and down the league ladder, I think makes it a very intriguing concept and will mean more people hopefully will go out to see games. Yeah, and something too to think about as they as as the expansion talk continues to go uh, as go wild based on you know the the renewed interest and now I think I think if I look at the last two weeks uh, we're up 150 percent for for viewership on the ESPN games based on Lifetime. I mean, granted the audience sizes are different because of the distribution of Lifetime and ESPN, uh, but people are people are definitely tuned in in the wake of the of, of the World Cup. And as you see these these markets, like FC Cincinnati is talking about it. Atlanta's talking about it. LA has been talking about it for for some some time. Uh, right now, everyone's all these these rosters from top to bottom are very very are very very you know strong, and that's the same thing that happened with MLS. I think with I think we had, with nine teams up to twelve, maybe I think they could probably still make it work. But that's just something to look the loot that super strong, super top to bottom uh, strong rosters. That's something to you know. I think you want to think about it, but also you want more than nine teams, so maybe you deal with it, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then you know I think it's a testament to this league in a in a sense in an odd sense that you know they don't have teams in Los Angeles, Boston, New York City proper, uh, and it's that they've been continuing to grow and to be able to continue to have an interest in this country. It's a it's a tip of the cap to the uh, the people that do who work for these teams who work for the league. you know, you and I know many of the folks who work for these teams, it's either they're either volunteer or, mm-hmm. or they're very low paid and they work multiple jobs. And, you know, we saw it on Saturday night, some of the folks who were working long hours into the evening. And um, it's it's a testament that they've been able to grow this. And I think it's it's kind of a positive sign in a sense, because then it's like, OK, you know, if we start adding in markets where there is maybe a little bit of a bigger sports metropolitan audience, then in theory that could end up being to the league's benefit. Now it's, a, it, that's a, there's these kind of conversations have gone on hundreds of times before and it's, you have to deal with all these different factors both you know, finding the right partners and finding the right people to be involved with and, you know, stadiums and all that good stuff. But it's, I think, I think so far, you know, it's a great step one. And I think that the people that are, have been behind the NWSL from the beginning are the people that are coming in. They're very. It's a very positive attitude, and you and I know in U.S. soccer sometimes that doesn't always exist. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. That's <laughs> positivity is something we usually run in uh, in deficit uh, in the soccer in the soccer community. Jason Anderson said uh, on Twitter, I think a couple weeks ago, and he said basically the NW. I don't. I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase, but um, just like the MLS, the NWSL will survive and thrive on the backs of people caring more and doing more than they than they probably should. Like just just outsized levels of of engagement and passion. People working, you know, people covering the team for free, doing it through for six or seven different outlets. That's what makes that's what's gonna carry the team through or carry the league through uh maybe lean periods to to, to I mean it's already set, you know, it's already been the long is it the longest lasting women's professional league uh since sort of they've been constituted? Is that right now? Is it fifth year? I would yeah, it's in its fifth year. It's um I would get I would gather so. I mean, there's it's anytime you talk about the history of US soccer or just soccer in general, there's the wild west aspect of it and trying to figure out who, with how long leagues have been together can be kind of difficult. But it's it's definitely the most successful women's league in US soccer history and it's I think it, it can only grow from here and that's good. So just to close out this game, obviously there was an opportunity for uh, the spirit to to take tie the game uh, at at towards the end. Uh, Mallory Pugh, who I don't believe anyone expected was going to play ninety minutes, um, just based on you know you know through the week conversations about how many minutes. Probably I think the coach said seventy five eighty minutes. What he was hoping for, uh, she had an opportunity uh, on a penalty, could not convert. Uh, did not did not look super comfortable for me. Just 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 watching. Didn't seem, you know, super confident over the ball, uh, and and was saved. And unfortunately, uh, Houston got the three points. What what was your what was your expectation going into this game, both for Mallory and for just this, how did you how did you anticipate this game going in the weather and and with the opponent? Yeah, I thought uh, sixty minutes would have been fair for her. Um, she, I mean, she. I guess we should go out and say that 
while she was on the U.S. roster, she wasn't a starter, so her minutes weren't as like impacted as Lavelle's were. Obviously, she also doesn't have the injury history. But I thought 60 minutes would have been fair. And she, and during the game at times, I think, was the creative force that everybody has thought she could be. And her touches, in particular in the final third, were really pretty exceptional. Um, it was interesting watching her take the kick, because, I again, I was taking photos right along the uh, penalty kick side. And you could kind of just looking back on it, she had a little bit of hesitation to her mm-hmm. and she was a little unsure of what she was doing. Not that may, not that she's, you know, can't score a, pe- a PK, right. but just there, she spent an exceptionally long amount of time kind of getting the ball ready, kind of just very slowly walking back. And it was, uh, it, it, I don't know. I've always found that body language is a really good indicator of how you feel about a PK. And Absolutely. It's so, you know, it, I think that gives goalkeepers more confidence than anything else is just watching their opponent and saying, okay, you know, still probably it's a difficult shot, but I, if they're not confident in this, I have a chance at this. And it's, I thought that she, you know, she's still a young kid. I think she's 21, 22. And I think a lot's still on expected of her. It's been interesting watching the commercials after the World Cup and seeing so many of her being directly involved. And I think U.S. soccer has a pretty good understanding that she is like the next, mm-hmm. uh, the Carly Lloyd or the, uh, you know, the the Rapina, the Mega Rapinos of whom they're going to be marketing. And you know, that's a lot of expectation art. But she's those who've watched her through the past two years really. Uh, develop in a very, very difficult environment with the spirit can probably tell you that she's more than ready. I think Saturday was a good life lesson for her. I think that she'll be, I think she'll come out of it better though. Speaking of uh, who U.S. soccer is is hoping to market and and the go forward, Rose Lavelle sort of came, uh, she sort of introduced herself to the broader sporting audience through the World Cup. Uh, I don't know, I don't anticipate, or I don't imagine that U.S. soccer was thinking of the people Mallory Pugh obviously was one that was front in all these commercials. I don't think they were necessarily planning for Lavelle to be the household name that she's become based on her performance. Would you agree? Yeah, I think that that one kind of caught them off guard. And it, she's had an interesting career. I mean, when she was picked up by the Spirit from the Breakers um, during, I believe it was during the dispersal draft. It might have been a trade. But she had a... I mean, coming out of college, she was considered to be a top-level player and, you know, was somebody that would U.S. soccer could build around. But she's had a string of really bad injuries and just not been able to fully recover until about late last year. Um, I think her getting into the roster, it was kind of a shoo-in, but she was definitely not maybe the, you know, solid pick. And she's a very interesting person when you talk to her, and she's a little bit shy. Um, She's... She has a very good dry sarcasm to, to her, which you can kind of check out on Twitter a little bit. And she's a little uh, irreverent, which is kind of which is good, actually, because it's it's her personality definitely shows. But on the pitch, she's incredible. Um, you watch her. She's somebody that's always looking for the next pass. She's not really kind of focused on her own place. She's trying to be able to distribute and create for others. And I was really the sh- the goal that she scored against the Netherlands. You watch her. She like her touch that she be she used to be able to get beyond the defenders. I mean, it's world class, and so it's great to see her kind of overcome these injuries. And I think it's going to benefit the spirit in the long term because they really need somebody who is a young team, and she's gone through quite a bit, and she has a lot of experience. And I think that that'll help them kind of down the stretch run is having that personality and that type of person who can just take the game by the horns and just go with it. So I want to make sure that we get uh, a chance to preview Wednesday's game. If, am I correct that, that uh, the Houston loss was their third loss in a row? That's correct, yes. Okay. Um, so you gotta you got to assume that they're hoping to get right against uh, against Sky Blue FC based on sort of what's going on up there. Yeah, I think, and I think this, you know, it's was a team that losing Pew and losing, you know, five or six players due to the World Cup, they kind of, they punched above their weight a little bit with a lot of very young players and they've had a lot of success now bringing these veteran players back in, I think is to their benefit. Um, Sky blue. It's been a very difficult couple of years. For the club. <laughs> yes. Um, it 
for those who aren't aware, they've spent the past better past two to three years kind of living uh, through various different stadiums and subpar conditions. Um, they're they've won two of their last three, so that's something. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did they are coming off a one zero loss to Orlando and uh, Spirit. They've beat they've already gone this season beaten uh, Sky Blue at in Piscataway three, two. So it's a, they're definitely comfortable against this side. Um, I think sky blue, it's, it's an interesting side. I think it's something that there's a lot of potential in, Um, but it seems like there's still kind of a work in progress. And if you're a spirit team, that's really, you know, they, they could definitely use a win going into this game. And I think playing against a side that's maybe rebuilding, um, they should feel confident being able to get at least a point out of this and hopefully three. Uh, is Carly Lloyd still in the wind? Um, that is kind of to be determined. So I can't, I was reading on Twitter about this uh, earlier this week and I, I apologize. I can't remember who the reporter was who talked about it, but apparently she is not, she's on the international, like she's still on international leave. And nobody's quite sure how that is or why that is. Um, She's still technically on the roster. It sounds like she's still wanting to play for the club. It's just maybe taking a little bit longer on the uh, vacation, Um, but no sign that she'll be there on Wednesday night. Didn't, weren't they able to assign a replacement national team player or something like that this last week? Yes. So they were able to sign a replacement national team player for, and that's, I think caused a bit of the uh, confusion about why. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, But when it comes to all things sky blue, you just kind of say, okay, just got to roll with it. You just got to roll with it. It's a, um, it's a, you feel bad for the supporters. I mean, I've been having been to a number of their games at uh, soccer plex. They come out, they come out in droves. Uh, Cloud Nine, which is their supporters group, is one of the most uh, responsive on on social media to things that you need or when you want to talk about the pro team or the DA team that they have or anything about Sky Blue. And you feel for them because it doesn't seem like management has the same sort of passion and care that they do. And, you know, we've all seen in U.S. soccer history when supporters care more about the team than the owners it, it can be a problem yeah we've never seen that anywhere in this local area for 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 clubs uh that <laughs> in the dc soccer space um the weren't there also i just want to you know this is the scatterbrained things i know about nwsl so far uh yeah. weren't there issues with sky blues uh draftees this last draft i mean i think it's not uncommon for draftees to head elsewhere but there was issues with their first round draft pick deciding to not report did they did she ever report or did she go play elsewhere she went and played elsewhere. She was, um, I'm trying now, my name is, the name's escaping me, but it was very clear um, that she was not, in, Haley Mace um, was not interested at all in being drafted by the team. And I don't know if she said it publicly, but it was definitely reported quite heavily that she was not going to be coming. And they drafted her anyway with the second pick. And she tried to Eli Manning them and it didn't work out for her. She was she tried to Eli Manning the Chargers, yeah. and it didn't work out for her, unfortunately. She uh, to make it more local, she made a Stevie. Fr- she did a Stevie Francis. There you um, go. She yeah, and this kind of happened in a similar situation with Sam Kerr back in, I think it was two years ago with uh, who basically just said I don't want to play for this team anymore and forced her way out to Chicago and. Um, then afterwards, Spoke was one of the first people to speak quite honestly about the problems with this team. So, you know, and again, this is part of the growing uh, pains that the league's going to have is that they're going to encounter situations with teams where they're going to have to either cut their losses or they're going to have to figure out if they can find new ownership. And it's, you know, you hate to do that kind of thing to any supporters group, but growth and development are important. And it's, you know, it's, Having owners that don't seem to particularly care for doing the basic level maintenance operations makes it hard for for the entire league. So it's it's just it's a sad situation. And like I said, I, I you feel for the supporters that do all the traveling, that go to all the games, and to see their ownership just put in a lackadaisical effort makes it difficult. 
So this will be the first time we've done this for an NWSL game. We always like to do score predictions and scores for any of our of, of our guests. So for the Sky Blue game on Wednesday, I will be at the Marseille DC United friendly uh, use in the in the luxury box uh, section because I they <laughs> I used all my fam for for on one in one false swoop. So I'm going to be in the AC for, <laughs> for this game. But I so I'll be oh, able to watch. Oh, you lucky dog! Line. I am very lucky. I know it's, it's I'm very excited. Uh, but what, how do you think this game's going to go, and, and who do you think will score the goals for, if there are any goals for, for Spirit? So I think that I think that you're going to see a Spirit sign in the first half that's going to come out with a lot of passion and a lot of just really wanting to get this game to knock the three points and make them solid. I think that you're going to see it's going to be a 2-1 result, and I'm going to go with we'll go with Mal Pugh with one, and then I'm going to go with uh, midfielder Jordan DiBiase for the second, who I don't know how she hasn't gotten the name of the million-dollar midfielder yet in honor of Ted DiBiase, but we got. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that too instantly, so I'm glad that you went there as well. I, I, yeah, I, I was, I was thinking about that on the sidelines on Saturday, when just dying in the heat, thinking we really need to come up with more nicknames. I think that's one that's going to get that will. Uh, that will stick for her. And uh, the one for Sky Blue, we're going to go with a local uh, player. We're going to go with Amani Dorsey who's from Elk Ridge, Maryland. I think Nate, nickname generation is the first stage of heat stroke. So I'm glad that I'm glad that you were able to make it through, even though you came up with a really good nickname. Uh, Sean, I want to thank you for coming on. I will do what Ted always says. And uh, Sean, let the good people know where they can find you on, on uh, online. Where, where can they find your work? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at, at Sean Maslin, S-E-A-N-M-A-S-L-I-N. I uh, talking all things DC United, Washington Spirit, trying to really one of the goals I have this year is to really start focusing more on the semi-pro and the uh, amateur levels here in the Maryland DC area and start covering them more. So you'll see photos and hopefully some interviews coming up here from some of the local coaches and local teams. And uh, yeah, sharing my work about all things Bethesda soccer. It's a great club uh, looking for players. So if you're interested, give me a shout out. Thank you so much. Uh, listeners stay tuned. I, I answer your Twitter questions and there's more monologuing after the break so uh sean thanks again and stay tuned for the final segment that i've actually already cheers Thank you again to Sean Maslin for giving us the Washington spirit expertise that we so desperately need as we talk about this team. I'm a newcomer. Ted's a newcomer to this space, and we really want to make sure that we are providing any sort of value for you know other new fans like we're like we are. I think that the long time the long suffering spirit fans will probably uh, groan at the level of expertise and the level of of nuance that Ted and I will bring to it. But I think for all the rest of you who are sort of on the go learning as we are. Um, I think I hopefully it might it might help. I hopefully it might uh, you know grow your ability and understanding of the team just like it, uh, we're gaining it uh, week by week. So this is actually the second time I've recorded this part of the podcast tonight. Uh, my brain is extremely melted, but you guys sent in so many questions. I decided that it would not be fair if we didn't actually do those questions. So for the second time tonight, uh, after ed- after about an hour of editing, I'm going to redo these. So, uh, let's, let's do this. Um, so we're going to start off at bear witness says, why does Ben wait so long to make subs? I talked about this, I think again, because it was so long ago when I was recording this podcast the first time, I think I talked about the fact that the bench is so bad that Ben often feels the best course of action he has at his disposal is to keep things the way they are and that there's no difference makers on the bench. Uh, you can argue with that. You can argue about tired legs and the marginal utility of a fresh player over tired legs, no, no matter what the situation is. Uh, but Ben obviously does not feel that's the case. He likes to keep things going the way they are if they're going well. And if they're going poorly, he doesn't feel like he has the horses on the bench to really change the game. That's what needs to happen in this transfer window. Those changes need to happen uh, as quickly as possible. At SMC Ultra, Don says, is Donovan Pines the new Eddie Pope? Uh, I would like him to be. I think we all would like him to be. 
I think that he has still some shortcomings in his game that he needs to iron out. Uh, I think his decision-making and his passing need to improve. His height, strength, speed, ability to make saves and move quickly are already very, very good. There's rumors about him being in the future for the U.S. national team. I hope those rumors turn out to be the, the truth. I mean, obviously, those are just projections right now, but uh, if you look at the center back depth for the U.S. national team, it's very reasonable to assume that they're going to have to turn to somebody soon. So why not Donovan Pines in a few years? Uh, Dan Duck says, which DC United player will be on Lil Nas X's Old Town Road remix number 4,872? Uh, I appreciated this question for a number of reasons. A, Dan is uh, always giving us great questions. B, I love Lil Nas X. I love Panini especially. Uh, I think he's great and not just his music. I think his, I think he's the very the very best at Instagram memeing out there. He's very much a young person. Um, who do I think would be on that remix? Uh, I think maybe maybe Chris Durkin. Chris Durkin does a lot of the social stuff for the team, and I think he did a promotion for either a clothes company or, or a sunglasses company at the beginning of the year, and all of his friends made fun of him, which is great. Um, so I think of anyone on the team likely to do that, probably would be, would be him. Uh, Soccer Zoot says, Lucho News. We did cover at the top. Uh, that Lucho has gotten an offer from a Saudi Arabian team, and he could go, and he could not go, and we'll see soon enough on that. Uh, Tim Flesh uh, is a weekly question about Yamil Assad. We do not have any information on that this time. He's still uh, training in Argentina. He still has not played a full game in about a thousand years. So even if we were to get him now, uh, do not expect him to make an impact until uh, you know much later, <laughs> middle of August maybe. Um, Will we get a transfer signing in this week? Well, uh, I actually didn't talk about this the first time I recorded, so I get an opportunity to do that now. Um, there is Jose Torres is in uh, training with DC this week uh, as a trialist. Uh, if you remember him, he served on the national team. If you're not a Liga, Liga MX fan, you will likely have remembered him from uh, a stint in the U.S. national team under uh, Jurgen Klinsmann. He got a lot of call-ups then. Not really a goal-scoring uh, midfielder, not really super creative, sort of a Swiss Army knife, uh, technically talented player. Um, I don't believe, and the team has stated this, that he is not intended to be a starter or a replacement for Lucho should he go. He is depth. So that, that's good. That's what you want to hear when a player like that gets into the picture. You don't want to assume that that's what the team's going to be built around. So all positive news there. Um, there's also Gordon Wilde, former University of Maryland player, uh, is also in camp. Uh, we do need depth at forward. I was hoping that they maybe sign someone a little bit more uh, polished and with a more of a goal-scoring record, but you never know. Who, who knows what this is? Uh, next question on the Twitter machine. Uh, at Bergwinkle says, is it, is it, it's become more important to move Lucho for a fee than keeping him. Agree or disagree? I agree. I think it is based on the impact that Lucha's had on this team this year has not been as dramatic as the previous year. Also, the form of the team has taken a dramatic nosedive uh, since the middle, you know, two months ago. This team just draws. The rest, of the, the rest of the conference is getting stronger. You look much, obviously, we're no longer, I don't think, a, a you know, Eastern Conference finalist uh, possibility or potentially a, uh, definitely not Supporters Shield. Um, but, it's looking less and less and like we're going to make a deep run in the playoffs as currently constituted. If you don't think you're going to make, if you don't think you're going to make the finals this year with him on an expiring contract, and you think that you're not going to be able to bring in, uh, the replacement that you would need or the or the pieces around him to really push you over that line, you sell him. Also, this team has been short on money supposedly for 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 some time, so this is the kind of thing you've got to do if you're a team like that in this situation. Do we want that to happen? No, do we not? Uh, as fans, I don't really care about the, uh, you know, the budget or the, the, the pocketbook of the owners of the team insofar as it does affect the rest of the team's operations. But and that's really up to them. I would sell if they can get 3 to $5 million and if Lucho can agree on salary, which he will do if, I think as I said earlier, again, who knows if I actually said this, if the Saudi Arabian team can make his kids' kids rich, and not have school bills no matter what, then maybe you do it. Maybe you do it for two years. Uh, but who knows? Maybe he wants to hold out for, for a, better, a better league. Uh, at the Great Gatsby, with uh, some threes and some underscores in there, 
Is Atlanta considered a rival by most of the fan base and the team? Uh, no, I don't believe it is. So, well, we did, we did own Atlanta in their first year, uh, a year in which we were horrible, yet still managed to always beat them. Tata Martino probably still thinks about Ben Olsen and his nightmares. Um, but no, I don't think so. Um, there is some, I would say, you know, the, the fan base is not monolithic. I don't think the team certainly feels that way. Uh, but the fan base, I think there's a little bit of, you know, looking over that direction, seeing the new, the still newish kid on the block with the attendance and the $12 million bench players and all these things that they have, and maybe have a little bit of jealousy, um, but not, I, I wouldn't call it a rivalry. We have actual real rivalries all, all up and down the Eastern Conference, and uh, Atlanta's not that. Uh, at Wise Mind said, what's your interpretation of Quincy's goal celebration with Pines? Hashtag free Quincy. So Quincy actually did an interview with Flow FC talking about what this was. And even if I explain it to you, I don't think it would make sense, really. Uh, it's something about building the Mental Strength League Railroad. Um, yeah, I mean, that's what they said. If you, really, if you have a subscription to Flow FC and you really want to get into it, it's there. I, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's Quincy Ameriqua. Uh, everything he says is intriguing and weird and an equal, and an equal like, level. I think. So... I, I think after after three hours of podcasting, I think I think I can't really get too much deeper into that. Um, also from Wise Mind said, at what at what finish to the year sees us waving bye to Ben at least as skipper. Uh, so the skipper question, I think that comes from a previous discussion in a Steve Goff article talking about if Ben were to be fired before his contract is out, the team would find him another position. Uh, with the franchise so that he continues to get his paycheck, basically. Uh, there are some people to take that to mean maybe we could get rid of him and send him to Loudon, or he could develop youth players. That will not happen for, you know, any number of reasons. Uh, ben, if Ben leaves, Ben's, Ben's gone, and I don't think he'll be a head coach again. I think he'll go do something else. I think he'll say, this is my time to take a break. I think we said at the beginning of the year that uh, not getting out of the first round of the playoffs war- was not acceptable. And I think that's still the case. You know, we've had injuries and they have not backstopped and made this roster as, as competitive as it could be based in the, in the transfer market, at least so far. Uh, but it's too bad at this point, you need to decide where, what team, what kind of team you're going to be. And if the coaching currently can get you over the hump and I don't, and if we're, and if we fall the first round again, then we didn't. And that's, and that's the answer. So uh, one last, uh, two questions, uh, at SMC ultra again says, how will you cope if Ariella gets sold? I will be sad. I will be very, very sad. And that actually goes along with this next question from Muir DCU offensive attacking rebuild that Ariola and Acosta move this window. What type of players attack would you want to see deployed with Rooney? Uh, that's a good question. Complicated question that I'd want more time to think about. I think. But you would want to make sure that you're replacing the attributes that both of those players have. Ariola's key asset, not as a finisher and as a you know continual chance creator, but as a versatile player that has speed, intensity, uh, commits on defense, will get stuck in, will 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 provide you a great cross, will occasionally score some goals, although not as much maybe as you'd hope. Uh, but those the players like that don't grow on trees, and we certainly don't have any more of them other than him. And Acosta's a chance creator, and he can dribble past players, and he can make something happen where there's nothing. Um, again, hard to replace, but you need to. The team, in order to be dangerous, it needs to maintain those capabilities. So uh, as far as a system change, I, I think we want to look at that maybe in another, in another uh, episode, but potentially once we see what the team does with the remnants of the window and what kind of players they bring in. You do need speed if Rooney is still going to be your main offensive threat, which would be the case if those two players left. We have seen how bad this team is with no Ariola, and we've seen what the team becomes. So uh, you're going to need speed and chance creation for sure, and someone that can play one-twos. If both of those players left this window, I don't imagine we'll make the playoffs. That's just, I think, the reality. And I think that's it. I think I have answered a lot of questions, and hopefully uh, if I didn't get to yours, uh, Greg, I believe there's a question about uh, potatoes that I have missed and forgotten. Uh, my brain is completely melted. At some point this season, we will answer your question about potatoes. Um, also, because I can't find it. And I don't think my answer would be that good or funny at this point anyway. 
Anyway, if you've made it to the end of this episode, you are a mad lad. You are a crazy lady. I can't believe you did it. Uh, we have, uh, we've made it to the end here. If, if listening to this podcast makes you want to give us money for some reason, maybe out of guilt for how did John do this by himself, go to patreon.com slash rfkrefugees. Uh, or if this is your first episode and you think, is this always like this? No, it's not always like this. Usually I have a co-host. Usually it's much better. Usually the sound editing is much better, so you don't have the sound go up and down while I'm talking, which you're going to have, unfortunately. I'm sorry. Uh, tune in next week. I promise it'll get better. Uh, follow us on all the social, at RFK Refugees on Twitter, at RFK Refugees Podcast on Facebook, which I don't think we even use, and email us at RFKRefugees at gmail.com. Uh, that's where you can give us the longer form questions and really get into stuff. So thank you so much to Sean for joining and talking, uh, talking to us about Washington Spirit. Thank you to me for somehow managing to do this all the way through. And thank you to you crazy listener who's still listening to this podcast, even though it's just been one guy talking for most of the entire time. You are awesome and crazy. Thank you so much. I don't remember what Ted says at the end of the podcast. It's something I think I say vamos. So this is where I will say vamos. See you next week.